I want to begin this morning in Acts chapter 2. I want to do a little bit of a kind of a different kind of preach to what I would um, normally do this morning. But um, I preached uh, two Sundays ago. It was Pentecost Sunday. Can anyone remember that far back? Um, And uh, there was kind of one thing that I kind of said that I really felt um, the Holy Spirit was on and I just kind of uh, needed to kind of dwell on that a little bit more and unpackage that a little bit more. And then I was listening to to Jared last Sunday and he kind of shared some thoughts along the same lines. And then we were just doing some stuff just as a staff in the office this week. And again, it was all kind of uh, similar. So I just feel the Holy Spirit is just wanting to just highlight some stuff this morning, but, uh, but not only that, to do a work in each one of our lives. Amen? Um, so in Acts chapter 2, um, it, it, I just want to read the first verse. Before we get to the exciting bit, the wind, the fire, the tongues, the Holy Spirit, the power of God coming, the salvations, before we get to all the good stuff, it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Did everyone say it all together. Yeah. Everyone say one place. Yeah. Now, just kind of on a casual reading, you might think that that's just a repetition. But actually, if you think about it, it's not. Because who knows that you can be in one place, but not be together. You can, as a church, we can be in one place singing the same songs, listening to the same message, but not be together. Amen? You can have a family that live in one house, but not be together. You can have people that work in the same office, the same company, the same organization, but not be together. And what the, the, the Bible emphasizes here is that these 120 men and women were not just in one place, but they were together. There was a unity. They had the same heart, the same mind, the same goal, the same focus, all the kind of tensions. And we know from reading the Gospels that there were lots of arguments and tensions. Who was the greatest? Who was going to sit at Jesus' right hand? There were all these kind of tensions and frustrations. And that was just among the 12, never mind 120. All of that had been put to one side and they'd been brought to a place of complete unity as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And who knows that that is a powerful place to be. Psalm 133 says that where brothers and sisters gather together in unity, there God, what? Commands a blessing. Isn't that powerful? That when a church is united, God commands God directs, God releases his blessing over that church. When there is unity in a home, when there is unity in a marriage, when there is unity among parents and children and children and parents, when there's unity in an organization, when there's unity in a company, there God commands, he releases, he declares the blessing of heaven. 
It's like the oil. It's like the anointing that's poured out. No wonder the Holy Spirit came. He couldn't help himself. When he looked down and saw that unity, that love, that honor, that, that those hearts connected together, the Holy Spirit had to move. Where there is unity, where there is togetherness, where there is love and honor, the Holy Spirit always, always moves. There the blessing of God is. Amen. Um, we, we touched on a, a couple of weeks ago that I don't think that it's a coincidence that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost because one of the things about the day of Pentecost was that it was a festival of unity. So um, if, you, if you carry on reading um, a few verses on in, chapter, in Acts chapter 2, you read that on the day of Pentecost, there are all these different nationalities and all these different languages um, all gathered together in the same place. What's that all about? Because the day of Pentecost, all the Jewish people, not just in Israel and Jerusalem, but all those who have been scattered all over the world and all those who have been converted to, to the Jewish faith from different nations, on the day of Pentecost, they all came together. Yeah. So you've got this incredible scene. Jerusalem is packed. It's like bank holiday, but kind of extreme. But you've got all these different nationalities, all these different languages, all these different cultures, all coming together with one purpose, which was to worship the God of Israel. No coincidence that that is where the Holy Spirit chose to move because the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us together. Even this morning, look around the room. Different nations, different languages, different backgrounds, different cultures, um, different past, different presence, different, um, you know, we've all, you know, we probably don't have a lot in common apart from Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, we would never be in the same room if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Think about that. We got different political opinions. We got different hobbies and interests. We, we've got different life stories, different journeys. All of us are different. You know, we, we different musical tastes, different entertainment tastes. We're all different. And yet the Holy Spirit has drawn us together in this room this morning for one purpose, which is to lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, one of the things that would happen on the day of Pentecost and, um, is that the, the, the priests um, would take um, two loaves of bread. Sorry if you're, if you're hygienic. I have washed my hands, but we're, we're all going to be ripping into it and dunking it in some cheap non-alcoholic wine in a minute anyway. So... Um, I know we all hate it, but it's the best thing when there's so many people here. Um, they, they take two loaves of bread and they held them up to heaven at the same time. And that was a powerful prophetic declaration because on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, Jew and Gentile 
both came into the presence of God and they became one. One body, the body of Christ. One church, one family. Can we put up the, the, first, uh, the first scripture this morning? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, because there is one loaf, everyone say one loaf. We who are many are one body. Everyone say one body. For we all share the same loaf. Paul says that there is one loaf. And that signifies that we are one body. The church, the family of God. One cup, one bread, one body, one loaf, one church, one family, one name, the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as we come to the table of the Lord, the Holy Spirit unites us together as one. This world loves to divide and separate. What do they call it? Identity politics, don't they? Where the world loves to divide based on color, based on gender, based on social status, you know, left, right. There's all kinds of, the world just loves to divide. But through Jesus, the Holy Spirit unites us together as one body. I know we got Numerous loaves here, because unless Jesus does a you know, food multiplication thing, we need more than one. But the, 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 the spiritual reality is that there is one loaf, yeah. because there's one body, yeah. one church, one family, yeah. and that's Jesus. On. This morning, there is no black and white. There is no male or female. There is no rich or poor. There is just one body, one family, the family of God. Whenever we come to communion, we are celebrating our oneness in Jesus. Because this is just kind of a prelude to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we will all gather together, every tribe, every tongue, every race, as one worshipping around one throne, worshipping one God, thankful for one saviour called Jesus. Who knows, there are not multiple wedding banquets in heaven based on your denomination. There is not a table for the Baptists and a table for the Pentecostals and a table for the Methodists. There's only one table, yeah. one loaf. On. This morning, we do not have separate tables based on your doctrinal theology. There is not a table for those that believe that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and another table for those that don't. There's not a table for those that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and those that don't. There is one table, one loaf, one body, one family. Isn't it incredible the crazy things that we allow to divide us? 
You know, churches have been divided over whether they sing hymns or modern songs. Churches have been divided over what translation of the Bible they use. Churches have been divided over whether women should wear hats or not. All kinds of minor stuff that does not matter at the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, we are united. One family, one hope, one saviour, one name. And his name is Jesus. Can someone say amen? Um, now, I want to I come to a slightly um, controversial verse. Is that okay? In fact, a very controversial verse. So uh, let me kind of um, put this in, in context. So I want to I wanna maybe kind of kill something that I think is just totally kind of taken out of context. So um, let me kind of put in context. I was brought up in a church where they took communion every Sunday. And it was very predictable what would happen. Um, so everyone would kind of be praising and worshipping, having a good time. Then at some point, the pastor would stand up and say, we're going to come around the Lord's table. At that moment, everyone would stop worshipping. They would sit down with their head in their hands because it was a very serious, somber, reflective moment. I hate that. I'm going to preach against that a different Sunday. Um, and then the pastor, without fail, every week would read the same verses of scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, he said, um, the apostle Paul said, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. Said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Uh, do this whenever you drink it, remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And everyone would say amen and we would all agree. Great verses, right? Then there would be a dramatic pause. And he would read this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For um, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? So of course, being curious, I would ask, well, what are those verses all about? And I was told correctly, that means that if you come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. It's pretty serious, isn't it? So my follow-up question was, well, what does it mean to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner? And this is what I was told. It means this. If you have sinned that week, don't take communion because your heart is not right with God. And you will eat and drink judgment on yourself. So, as the emblems were distributed, because they used to give it out because it was a smaller church, I knew I had about 30 seconds to a minute to <laughs> repent of everything that I'd done wrong that I could possibly think of. 
or else I was in trouble with Jesus. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I would have a, a little cheeky look round. And I noticed that some Christians, as they brought the bread and the wine, they would go, and it would be passed on to the next person. And I would think, I wonder what they have done. But then I actually read the Bible in context. And I realized that that is not what that verse is talking about whatsoever. An unworthy manner is nothing to do with personal sin. When it says to examine ourselves, it doesn't mean to examine ourselves of whether we're worthy or good enough. Because who knows if you have sinned this week, the best place to come is to the communion table. To remember the cross, to remember the blood. This is a place where we can get right with God. So what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Well, this is what it means. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. What is the body of Christ? It's the church. So to eat and drink in an unworthy manner is to come to the table and only be thinking about myself. And not to recognize, not to honor, not to appreciate, not to be thankful or grateful for the body of Christ, which is the church. And actually, if people took the time to read the verses before, they would see clearly that that is what Paul is talking about. Because when the early church took communion, they took it as part of a meal. So they wouldn't just have bread and wine. There would be all kinds of food on the table. They would be sat around tables and they would eat and drink and have a meal together. And this is what what Paul says a few verses before this. He says... Um, He said, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. In other words, the, the Corinthians, when they came to the Lord's table, all they were bothered about was feeding themselves. So you imagine there were five people there and there are five buns on the plate, and the first person comes, and he takes all five buns, and goes to his seat, and every, everyone else is kind of looking around. Now, that, of course, that's greed, but it's something else. It's selfishness. It's not recognizing. This is not just about me. It's about a body. They were coming to the Lord's table only thinking about themselves. And not the fact that they were part of a family. And Paul says, this isn't right. This is the judgment upon yourself. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died so that you could be part of a body, a family. Now we don't have a meal here this morning. But I wonder if sometimes we come to church with that same attitude. I am here to get my needs met. I am here to get fed. Yeah. I am here. What I didn't get anything out of the worship this morning. Yeah. 
I didn't get anything out of the preach this morning. Jared didn't shake my hand when I came in, so I'm offended. It's all about me, all about self. All, I'm just here for what I can get. And we don't recognize, we don't discern. This is not about me. I am part of a family. And when we come to communion, we often think that this is a personal time between us and Jesus. That is not how God intended it. There was meant to be community in the communion. It was meant to be a part of, I'm here as part of a body, part of a family. So this morning... When I come to the table of the Lord, I'm not coming with my head down, but I'm looking around at you lot. And when I come to the table, I am acknowledging I need you. I need a family. I need teaching. I need worship as a body. I need a pastor. I need accountability. I need the life and the love and the joy that is found in community. But not only am I looking at you lot, I'm also looking at me and recognizing I'm not just here for me. I'm here to be a blessing to you. I'm here to serve. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to love. I'm here to be kind. That is what the communion table is all about because we need each other it is not good for man to be alone it doesn't matter how spiritual you are it doesn't matter how anointed you are we need each other we need fellowship we need friendship and and my prayer this morning one of my prayers is that as we come to the table of the Lord we would look around and realize we are not on this journey alone. There are people here this morning, if you are going through some stuff, there are people here this morning to put an arm around you. There are people here to encourage you. There are people here to pray for you. There are people here to chat through stuff with. You're part of an incredible family called the family of God. We're joined together this morning, not just here in Hull, not just with our various campuses, not just with our network, not just with Assemblies of God, not just with the other churches in Hull, but we're joined together with the body of Christ worldwide. There are people all over the world today. Some are meeting in school halls. Some of them are meeting in warehouses. Some of them are meeting in cathedrals with stained glass windows. Some of them are meeting in fields in Africa or India. Some of them are meeting in homes, some of them are in prison this morning, but we are part of a body called the body of Christ. If you ever feel lonely, if you ever feel on your own, if you ever feel isolated, look around and recognize you are part of the family of God. But don't just look at others, look at yourself this morning. We need you this morning. We need your presence. We need your smile. We need your encouragement. We need what you can bring and what you can contribute to this family 
and to this local church. Everyone is valued. Everyone is honored. Everyone is appreciated. Everyone is needed. Sometimes we don't do it as well as we should. But Jesus is helping us. We looked last time I spoke on communion that it's the Lord's table. It's a time to reaffirm our commitment to him. But I think this morning it's a time to reaffirm our commitment to each other. I'm unoffendable. I'm not going to allow petty things to bring anything between me and you. If I don't like stuff, I'm not going to look for the next church I can run to. I'm here as long as God wants me here. Because it's my family, it's my body, it's where God has put me. Maybe you're here, I want to encourage you this morning. Join a team, join a revived team. Get serving, get involved, get planted. Start to give, start to serve, start to love, start to contribute. And watch what God will do in you. Can someone say amen? Um, I just want to, oh, let me just give this, this was a Jared quote. Jared uh, put this on um, social media this week. Um, No, that was not Jared, that's the Apostle Paul. Close. (laughs) Close, but Jared's a better singer than Paul was. Jared put this on social media this week. uh, Live, that should be live, live life in circles, not just in rows. A Christian life is not really hewn in the pews, but it's deeply crafted around meal tables, team tables, small groups, and powerful friendships circles it's great thoughts isn't it and it, it leads perfectly into communion just want to say uh, just two more things and then we're gonna we're gonna come around the table when we do life together not just in church but life in general who knows it's impossible to go through life without people hurting us there's probably not a single person here who has not been hurt by someone. People say things, people do things, people let us down. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional. But every one of us are left with the wounds and the scars that come from being hurt by someone. It may be a parent, it may be a relationship we were in, it may be someone at work, it may be someone in church, it may even be a pastor, uh, someone, it could be anyone, but every one of us know what it is to be hurt, to be let down, to be gossiped about, to, to, for trust to be broken. And who knows, that's painful. But if we're not careful, that hurt and pain can act like poison within us. And it can lead to bitterness, and it can lead to unforgiveness. And it can be like a cancer to our joy, to our peace, to our walk with God. And just, unless it's dealt with, it will always be there. You will carry that pain to the next church you go to. You will carry that pain to the next job you start. You will carry that pain to the next relationship you enter. 
We have to allow God to deal with those areas in our lives. Now, no one was betrayed more than Jesus. Jesus, his own, one of his closest friends, one of his most trusted disciples, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. That sucks a bit, doesn't it? But there's a, there's a powerful line here. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Said, this is my body, which is for you. That's more than a throwaway line. God is showing us how to deal with betrayal. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus didn't go on Facebook and say, you'll never guess what Judas has done. (laughs) He didn't punch Judas in the face. He didn't plot about how he was going to get his own back. He didn't go to the cross angry and bitter over Judas. On the night he was betrayed, he brought bread. Jesus knew he could not go to the cross with any bitterness, with any unforgiveness, with anything in his heart towards Judas. So he came to the table of the Lord and he dealt with it. I believe this morning there are people here and you've been carrying stuff that other people have done to you or said about you a parent, a colleague, a brother, a sister, someone in church. They've said something, they've done something, and it still hurts. You still carry the pain and the wounds and the scars. I believe this morning is a morning of healing. I believe this morning is a morning of release. I believe that as you come to the table this morning, you're going to bring that person, that issue to Jesus. The New Testament word for forgive, it simply means to release. And as you come to the table of the Lord, as you remember Jesus who said, Father, forgive them to the ones that crucified him. As you take the blood that washes away all sin and all offense, you're going to say, Jesus, I release that person to you. I release that issue to you. I release those wounds and those scars and those hurts to you. Jesus, I forgive them. And you're going to leave this place this morning free, whole, and released. Amen. Amen. I want to close with this. In the Old Testament, there were two brothers who had a bit of a falling out. Jacob and Esau. Jacob stole Esau's birthright and his blessing. And it made Esau so mad that he wanted to kill him. That's a talk about a dysfunctional family. So Jacob runs away and he spends decades on the run. Can you imagine in Esau all those years allowing the bitterness to fester and to grow and it to eat away at him? There comes a day years later when Jacob says, I'm going to go back home. 
And so he goes back to his homeland and he hears as he's going back, Esau is going the other way. And they're about to meet. These two, Esau who wants to kill him is coming to meet him. Who knows, that would improve your prayer life. <laughs> and I can just imagine Jacob crying out to God, God, you've got to deal with my brother. I don't know how you do it. You're either going to have to save him or kill him. But do something. Maybe there are people here this morning and there's a dysfunctional relationship somewhere in your life. Maybe there's marriage problems. Maybe there's problems with your kids. Maybe there's someone at work who you just always clashing. Maybe it's someone in church who you've fallen out with and you used to sit next to each other, but now you're, you made sure you're on opposite sides this morning. But an angel comes, or rather God, Jesus comes and wrestles with Jacob and touches Jacob's hip, wrenches it out of socket, says, Jacob, I'm going to give you a new name. You're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. Isn't it incredible how often we pray, God change them. And God says, actually, you're the one I want to touch. You're the one I want to change. You're the one I want to transform. Jacob gets alone in the presence of God. He has an encounter with God. And the next day, Esau comes to meet him and embraces him and kisses him and weeps and says, brother, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. God had so changed the heart of Esau that there was now love and reconciliation. I like to think that while Jacob was having an encounter with God, God was changing the heart of his brother. I believe this morning we're going to get in the presence of God. And I believe this morning God can do a supernatural work in his presence. And God can restore marriages. He can restore relationships between children and parents. God can touch the heart of your work colleague that you go into the office tomorrow morning and it's a totally different atmosphere. God can touch the heart of those those brothers and sisters this morning. God can reconcile parents. God can do a supernatural work as we get in his presence. The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Don't we need those things in our relationships? Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to help you preach and heal the sick and cast out demons. The Holy Spirit comes to make you a a nice person. You're a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better son, a better daughter, a better colleague when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you do something? this morning.